Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We are located in Seattle, Washington. As a church, we want to be a community of faithfully present people with God, self, and others. We hope that this encourages you to do the same wherever you are. And thanks for joining us. All right, Redemption, we are going to jump into the sermon for today. So as many of you know, we have been journeying faithfully through the book of Acts for uh, just over a year. And so now we are in chapter 16. We're right in the middle of chapter 16. And, you know, we'll be in Acts all the way uh, through the turn of the year. And um, I'm looking forward to just continuing this journey through as we're looking at the acts of the Holy Spirit, the acts of the apostles, the acts of the, the early church and watching God's kingdom break into the world and break out all throughout the early first century Roman Empire. So last week, at the beginning of Acts chapter 16, we looked at the moment where Paul and Barnabas go their separate ways. It was uh, the sermons entitled, The Church is a Mess and Jesus is Lord. And in that, it was a very, it's a curious passage because both apostles are right, though it led them to very different understandings and different ways as it pertained to how to go about gospel ministry. Uh, Barnabas, Paul's companion, said, I want to bring John Mark with us on our next mission trip. Yeah, John Mark abandoned us before and he, you know, did us wrong, but let's give him grace. That's acting like Jesus. Of course, let's give somebody another chance. Paul says, no, uh, we need to let our yes be yes and a no be a no. And this guy's track record is not great. So I'm, I'm not comfortable with bringing him. Both of them are right. Barnabas is right to give grace. Paul is right to give truth. And so they bring that to the church and the church recognizes that these two men need to be sent out, but they don't have to go on the same team. That's okay. And so they do. And so two teams go off. And so that's where we pick up. Paul and Silas have been traveling and they, uh, Paul has a dream one night. He has a vision. And in his vision, he uh, pictures a man in Macedonia. And the man says, please come and help us. Paul understands that that means come over, share the good news. So Paul shares that with the team and they agree, let's travel. And so now they're going to travel about another 135, 150 miles uh, to the city known as Philippi. They're going to go through uh, Samothrace, which is a super huge mountain range, elevation of mountains about 5,000 feet. He's going to do some serious trekking, to say the least. So let's pick up in Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 11. It says this. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is in modern day Greece, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. Okay, so now they arrive in the city of Philippi. Maybe this week you should read Paul's letter to the Philippian church. This is the place that became very precious to Paul. These believers that supported Paul and Paul loved dearly. Uh, maybe this would be a good week to read through the letter itself. So in the city of Philippi, it was an important city. It was a strategic city for Paul to go and visit. Uh, it was a leading city in the Roman province. And so it, primarily the city uh, existed. It housed a lot of war vets. A lot of the Roman army would retire there and they wouldn't be taxed. And so this was um, a place of political power. Um, 
and so on. So they go there to Philippi, and it says, we remained in this city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we, were, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Okay, so they get to Philippi, and they go to do what they always do, and that is they try to find the Jews first and then the Gentiles. They tend to go to synagogues, but here, as you can tell, there's no synagogue mentioned. In order to have a synagogue, you have to have at least 10 men, according to Jewish custom. But Luke doesn't tell us that. Luke says that they go down by the river and they find a bunch of women praying. So they're abiding by Jewish custom. They're gathering together. These women are praying. So there's not a strong Jewish influence here in this city. But then we find Lydia. Listen to what we see here. It says, one who heard us, so they come together and they begin to proclaim the gospel. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who is a worshiper of God. Okay, so Lydia comes over from the city of Thyatira. And in that city, there was likely a stronger Jewish presence, which where she, where she would have grown up hearing about Moses and all the rest of the Old Testament, right? And so she became a worshiper of God. She was a Gentile, but she was a God-fearing woman who participated, who prayed and sought the kingdom of God and so on. So she's there in the company of the other women down by the river praying, listening to Paul and Silas preach about Jesus and the gospel and show, oh, the Messiah that you heard about all along. Well, here he is. He's come. He's died. He has risen. He has ascended. He has sent the spirit into the world. The covenants are, are alive. God is with us. God is working with us. He's kept his promises. And I'm here to tell you the good news that God made good on his word. And so they're there. She's hearing the gospel. This, this woman who was a strong businesswoman, uh, she was a dealer in purple dye, purple goods, which was something that was, uh, as you all know, was a very rare commodity to come by that color in the first century. It was usually only really reserved for royalty, for garments or carpets or things like that. And not until around the 19th century did they move away into more to how we see things died today. And so this was a, a, a unique woman. She was a woman that would be educated, uh, we can assume that she was not married, that we don't know for sure, but she's educated uh, in Macedonia, independent women were like, that's kind of how they rolled. Women were quite independent in this region. So she's there, she's hearing the gospel and listen to what it says. It says that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well. Okay, so there she is, listening to the gospel, and Luke is keen to use this phrase and, and introduce this theology that we see from cover to cover throughout the Bible, that God is the one who is sovereign in salvation. So if you think back to the prophet Isaiah, when Isaiah says, where God speaks through Isaiah saying, when I send out my word, it will accomplish everything that I intend for it to do. I determine the end from the beginning. If I say something, it's, it's as good as done. <laughs> uh, if you think about like what Paul says in Ephesians 1, 
In love, he predestined us that we would become the, right, the, the children of God. Think about what Peter says. You're a chosen generation, a chosen priesthood. Think about what James chapter one says, where he says of his own will, he called us forth. And when God calls forth, what happens? We come. <laughs> Think when Jesus says all that the father's committed into my hand, I have dropped none of them. Right. So again and again, uh, it, you know, all that are given to me will come is what Jesus says. So here it is again. We see this theme just to emphasize again and again. God is the one like Jonah chapter two, verse 10. The verses just keep coming up. Jonah, um, salvations of the Lord. Like we see it again and again that God is the one that initiates salvation. God is the one, as Jesus says in John three, the birth from above to be born again. God does the regenerating work. It says the Lord opened her heart. She believed and was baptized. Maybe you can go back and think, think back. If you're like me, you can even remember when you became a Christian. Maybe you can remember around what time of life where you began to believe the gospel and follow Jesus. Spend some time Sometime this week, just remembering, oh, I remember, I remember around when God opened my heart. And maybe even keep praying that. God, would you keep opening my heart? Not just I have been saved, but I am being saved and I will be saved. That's how we think as Christians. God, keep on opening my heart to you and to your word. So God opened her heart and she was baptized. Meaning that she understood that she has been plunged into a relationship with the triune God. That she, right, that be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. She understands that she is identifying with the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. She's identifying with washing away her sins. She's identifying with the local church. She understands what baptism mean, means and so she is baptized. And then it says, and her household as well. So then there's some people that, well, many people, many faithful, godly believers that love Jesus. Read this passage and assume right there, go, well, I guess that's where we get infant baptism. And it's here and in four other places in the New Testament where people tend to go, oh, this is, this is what it means. I, okay, infant baptism, she and her household. Um, others, and this is where I've, lean personally. Um, I, I don't necessarily lean toward infant baptism, uh, especially in a passage like this, because no infants are mentioned. And it's even likely that the her household were likely servants in her house. And so regardless of what you believe about infant baptism on this side or that side of Salvation. Here's what I want to just emphasize just for a moment here is that in, in converting, in following Jesus, whoever you are, whether it's amongst roommates at college or if you have a roommate in an apartment or a condo here in the city or maybe your spouse or children, whoever you live with or around, these people take notice of what's happened to you in Christ that your witness at home, that how you carry about your daily life, not just life out there or at work or in the church, but at home where people see the real you all day, every day. Those hours matter. 
Your testimony matters. It doesn't mean that you have to be a perfect person, but Christians are not known for being perfect. We're the ones that are called to repent and keep on repenting and keep on being conformed to the image of Jesus. And so Christians, I want to encourage you in your home life to walk with Jesus day by day. All right, so now, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met. Oh, I'm sorry. It says, and she, uh, she, just before that, it says that she urged them to stay. So, and they, and she prevailed upon us is the way Luke writes it. She strongly urged them to stay because they saw her as a faithful woman of God. And so they did. Now, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Okay, so this is a very curious part of the of the story. There's a slave girl. So the first girl, woman we met, rather, was Lydia, who was a successful businesswoman who converts follows Jesus, her household, welcomes in the apostles and so on. The next person, Luke is intentional to put these up right next to one another and go, we've got somebody in a higher class. And then we have this person in the lowest class, a a, a little girl that is possessed by a demon who is a slave, who is owned by crooked men. She's been filled with a a spirit of divination. And she's following Paul and Silas around saying, these men proclaim the way of God and salvation and all the rest. And it's a disruptive thing. And we wonder, like, why would Paul stop her? Because he's going to stop her in just a moment. Why stop her from proclaiming this? What What is the demon crying out through this girl here? Why? Well, it's, it's something that you see elsewhere in the Gospels when the demons speak, specifically to Jesus himself. When Jesus encounters people who are filled with a, a, a demon, they'll say things like, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Why, why silence the demons when they say such true things? Well, the demons in those moments are, are making like a, a power grab. They are... Trying to show, we're not surprised that you're on the scene. We actually have had your number dialed for a long time. It's that kind of situation going on. So this girl who's being used by these men, being oppressed by this spirit and possessed by this spirit, following the apostles, and she kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. So we see now the power of the ascended Lord Jesus, who not only cast out demons when he was physically incarnate here on the earth, but in the name of Jesus, through the apostles, they drive out this demonic power. We need to be reminded that we do not war against flesh and blood. The next thing it says, But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. 
And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. All right. So the men now realized the woman that we were, that we had control over, the woman that we were using, this woman would have been used. This girl would have been used to, as a, as a fortune teller. She would have been a person that gives advice. She would have been a person that people seek some kind of secret wisdom from. Now, all of a sudden they lose their business. They lose their income because Paul did what he did in driving out the demon. So they're brought before the magistrates and they say, these, these men are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept their practice. So these men are calling us to follow Jesus. We don't do that. We don't follow Jesus as Lord. We follow Caesar. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them in prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So now the apostles are jailed again, being beaten, suffering. No trial actually went down. They stripped and brutalized over driving out the demon. So they're suffering. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. All right. So what I want to do now is I want to invite Dan in and I want to talk to Dan about the power of worship. All right, everyone. So here's Dan. All of you pretty much. You're <laughs> Dan, yeah, we're keeping that. OK, so all of you know, Dan, Dan came on staff uh, year ago. a year ago. Over a year ago. So you've been director of worship here for over a year yeah. and have done a marvelous job. So thank you. thank you for leading us the way you do week by week. Um, I wanted to ask you in particular about this verse on singing hymns to, to God in jail. We got these guys that have been punished. They drove out a demon. They were unjustly tried, slammed in jail at midnight. Totally. They're found praying and singing to God. And I know our church sees you lead us constantly from mm-hmm. the front. But I wanted to give our church an opportunity to kind of hear some of your heart on, on worship itself. What's, totally. what's going on in this passage when you hear this verse? What do you, yeah. what do you see going on? There's a few things for me that I think um, kind of naturally come up. And if one of them is uh, to kind of like demystify the idea of worship because we don't have like we have kind of these high level understandings of worship, but when it comes to like day, day to day, what is worship? Mm-hmm. And I think the thing that is really unique about that passage is that they're in a moment of deep struggle. <laughs> They've been wrongly tried, accused, and pretty much it's a moment where there's like, you could sink into complete despair. No, oh, yeah. Like if you wanted to go there, you have pretty much full right to be totally in total despair. Yeah. Um, but I think that there's this beautiful moment where they decide and make a choice to actually consciously go, there's something we can do here. 
Mm. There's like a creative mm. element that not just like this like throwaway arbitrary thing, but there's this actual thing that we can do with our mouth, our mind, <laughs> our bodies mm-hmm. um, that actually play into how we respond mm. to the situation, mm. which is incredible. And I think one of the cool things is thinking about like I think a lot about the fact that Jesus is this uh, <laughs> God and human mm-hmm. who doesn't struggle with sin, doesn't struggle. Right. In the same ways that we do. Right. And every time he opens his mouth, he's speaking out of truth and grace and love. Mm-hmm. And I think that particularly in worship when we're singing about God, that there is something that is true about what we're singing, mm-hmm. which is so different to what we experience in our daily lives. Mm-hmm. We have our anxieties talking to us. We have depression talking to us. Sure. We have joy. We have pain. We have all these things speaking to us. Mm-hmm. And I think singing is this moment where especially when we're together is this moment where we're singing what's true about God. We're singing what's true about ourselves. We're singing what's true about others. Mm -hmm. And that there's actually like a physical response that happens. Mm. Like your mind is being told that your heart's being told that and your body is literally saying that. (laughs) Um, That's cool. Which what, I mean, what a beautiful way to like engage with humanity. And we were talking about this, like one of the beautiful things about singing together, whether it's at a show or whether it's at church is the fact that, you don't have to be creative to do it. Oh yeah. Sure. Like it's the one, it's one of the few creative acts that like all people can engage in together, whether you have a beautiful voice or less beautiful, less beautiful voice. (laughs) (laughs) And that, that we encourage our own souls in that the spirit encourages us, but Mm -hmm. we also get to encourage other people in that. Mm -hmm. Cause what better feeling is there leaving a show when you just sang your face off? Sure. Sure. That's great. So what do you think the, um, I mean, of all the spiritual disciplines that we have in the faith, you know, fasting, mm-hmm. right, reading, and, you know, solitude and all these so things. I mean, these guys are in jail, and they they gravitate toward that discipline, the discipline of singing. Yeah. Like, I, I think about that verse where he says in Colossians, like, encourage one another with psalms and hymns and totally. spiritual songs. Totally. Like, it sounds like that's what's going on. Yeah. Um. So they're they're making something. Yeah, they're creating. They make something in jail. In jail. In the in the place where you should be at your most hopeless, low, shackled oh, end. They make art. They create art. And they sing it to God. Yeah. <laughs> in such a way that like those around them are also experiencing yes. the thing that they're creating. Oh, that's so awesome. Which is really cool to think about. So. I love that. I love you. I love you, too. Thank you for leading. <laughs> okay, get out of here. I'm going to finish the rest of the sermon now. <laughs> All right. You got nine minutes. Great. I got nine minutes. Okay. So, don't you just love Dan and Meg? All right. So, they were singing. Prisoners were listening. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried aloud with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. So the, the, there's an earthquake that happens that accompanies the worship of God and the Things start shaking. Remember, we remember the earthquake that happened when Jesus was 
resurrected. There's an earthquake happening in the presence of the worshipers. The stocks come off their feet. The doors fly open. It is crazy. And the jailer grabs a sword and doesn't take it to the prisoners, but rather turns it to himself because he just assumes, oh my gosh, they've broken out. And if if this if they got away, then I'm going to face capital punishment. He would he didn't conclude. Oh, prisoners are going to stick around in prison. <laughs> they, they won't. They will have left by now. But they didn't. So Paul says, no, 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 don't harm yourself. Don't harm yourself. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in and trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Okay, so there they are. What do I need to do? What must I do to be saved? The the question, the ultimate question. How is a soul saved? And not just temporarily, but permanently How is a soul saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus. Listen, if you're a Christian today, hear that again. Believe in the Lord Jesus again today. If you're not a Christian today, you need to hear this. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. If you want to experience salvation with God, it is not found in any religion under the sun. It is found purely in Jesus alone. It's not found in another philosophy. It's not in another ideology. It is found in the person and the work of Jesus. If you want to experience salvation, do what the jailer did here. Do what countless millions of other people have done since this moment. Put your faith in Jesus. This is why our church exists. We want to lift up Jesus and see Jesus magnified and see people come to know him. The one who separates our sins as far as the east is from the west. The one who makes us righteous before the throne of God. Believe in the Lord Jesus. And again, you don't have to get second guess yourself and go, well, what if my faith isn't totally perfect? What if I struggle? What? Listen, as I've heard... Uh, Don Carson or Tim Keller, one of these guys say, it is not the, the, the quality of your faith that saves you. It is the object of your faith. Believe. None of us have perfect faith, but nonetheless, cast all that you have into Jesus. It is the object of your faith that saves you. You will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. So the man goes and gets his family, brings them back. And he took them that hour, the same hour of the night, and washed their wounds. Can you imagine this? This is a Roman soldier washing the wounds of of Christians. (laughs) Well, now he's a Christian. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. See, this is the posture. This is, this is what happens when people become Christians. They're filled with joy. They rejoice. They have meals together. They get the family together. And they go back and they go, I'm thankful that I believe in God. 
I know this year's been hard and really taxing, obviously, for all the reasons. When was the last time you just gave yourself a moment just to rejoice and believe in God? Rejoice that you do believe in God. For those of you that have been Christians for five years, 10 years, 30 years, whatever, it's easy to get discouraged and look yourself in the mirror and go, shouldn't you be farther along in your faith by now? Are you really still struggling so much? I would just encourage you to give yourself a little breather and just go, no, I'm not where I want to be in my walk with Jesus. I I still have a, a long way to go. But you know, when I look back, He has sanctified me. I'm going to rejoice in the fact that I believe. There was a day where I didn't believe, and now I do. I'm going to rejoice in that. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul. So they go back to jail that night. They'd had a meal. (laughs) They go back to jail They report the words to Paul and the man says that the jailer says the magistrates have sent now to to sent to to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. So he's like, go ahead, Paul, you can go. (laughs) But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And now they want us to go out secretly. No, let them come and uh, themselves and take us out. So, you know, they all take a huge gulp right here going, wait, they're Romans. Yeah. Paul and Silas were actually Roman citizens. Yes, they had Jewish faith and now they were following Jesus, but they belonged to the Roman Empire and the Roman law was very, very clear. You do not beat Romans the way you beat Jews or other rebels or traitors. You don't do this. They had taken justice into their own hands and they had abused their position of authority. The police had beat them in the street. The mob had beat them in the street and then thrown them in jail unjustly. And so Paul goes, no, 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 no. I'm a Roman citizen. You have treated us poorly. And then you want us to slink off and just get out of town quietly? No. Tell them to come down here and apologize to my face for mistreating me, for abusing me. What I love here is that Paul, yes, he knows that he's a citizen of the kingdom of God. Yes, he knows this world's not his home. And he also recognizes, I'm a citizen of the Roman Empire. This is where I live. You can't treat me this way. And I love that because sometimes we can assume that if we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, then that means I must always and in every circumstance be a doormat here in whatever city I find myself in. And Paul, we're seeing right here, the Bible show us, no, no, you're, you're a citizen of this particular city, at this place, in this time. And so just because you belong to the kingdom of God doesn't mean your citizenship here in the world is somehow null or void or invalid. No, tell them to come down here and apologize to my face. (laughs) Paul's pretty bold, and I appreciate that in this moment. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. Just go, we're sorry. We're so sorry. We did the wrong thing. (laughs) 
So they went out of the prison. Well, they just leave the city first. Since they visited Lydia, they stopped by her place once more. The woman who had welcomed them in, who believed the gospel, they wanted to go by and check on her and her family. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and then departed. So then they left the city. They came. They proclaimed the gospel. Lydia was converted. Then the little girl was exercised. The demon was driven out. Then they worship in jail. Then the jailer and his family are converted. And then on their way out, after all of that, they stop by Lydia's once more and encourage the family of God. Are you tired? Are you beat down? Are you weary? Make sure you stop by and encourage one another. Love your redemption. Thank you for listening. Thanks again for joining us. If you want more information about our church or would like to come visit us on a Sunday, go to redemptionseattle.com.